Welcome to the Healing Journeys Today podcast. Today we've got an amazing message of hope and healing just for you. God's Word never returns to Him void, so let this message sink deep into your heart so that you can walk out your complete healing journey today. Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for another Truth Stream. Uh, I taught a class not too long about, ago about the promise that God has given us for life and, and the aging process. You can check that out at uh, you know the Healing Journeys Today uh, YouTube channel if you want to check that out. But um, And I believe those things are true, and I live by those. And uh, I encourage all of you that that's the power that's in the truth of God's Word. And Really, that's why my heart is so committed to the Word of God and sharing it with you, because uh, not just because it's something that I've experienced, but no, it's much greater than that. It's a covenant that God has made with His children, and it belongs to you, and He doesn't want you to have any less than the fullness that He has given you. That's His heart for you. Anyway, the topic today for the truth stream I'm going to cover is called, Does God Use Sickness and Disease to Chastise or Instruct His Children? And, you know, what's sad to me about that is that I even have to teach on this. I'll tell you what, anyone who's been sick, like I was sick, uh, and the torment that you go through, uh, you could no, in no way whatsoever attribute that to God. If you did, that, that would be really close. Well, it would be, technically speaking, if you were unsaved. Uh, that's attributing, uh, like the, the uh, Pharisees and scribes, they said Jesus was casting out devils by Beelzebub, by the prince of the devils. That's what they said Jesus was doing. So if if you are to attribute sickness and disease to God, then you're, you're giving, uh, you're calling God the devil. You're saying that the works that God is doing is the same works that the devil does. I mean, that's, to me, that's just mind boggling that someone would think that way. And, you know, I'm not against you. I'm for you. I remember I was raised, uh, in a, uh, a Lutheran denomination, and uh, I was taught that. And I just accepted it because I never questioned it. But because uh, uh, my parents believed that, it was taught in sermons. When someone got really sick and died, there, there was always, well, God needed them in heaven. It's like, really? Uh, yeah, that just never sat well with me. So anyway, I just wanted to bring out some points today to just strengthen and encourage your heart. You know, last week uh, we talked about um, condemnation and uh, we talked about 1 John 1, 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we looked at that and, and we looked to see whether God is judging or evaluating us. And I encourage you, if you didn't catch that, to really get that. But I want to remind us of a scripture that we read last week, and I'm going to I'm going to bring it up again today and uh, turn with me, if you will, to 1 John uh, chapter 3. Listen to this. It says, my little children, L listen to how John is expressing the heart of our father. My little children, L listen to how he's addressing us. He's not saying, okay, you guys, get your act together. No, he's saying, my little children. Let us not lot love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Those are encouraging words that our joy might be full. Listen to what he says. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. You know, this doctrine about, uh, you know, it's really related to the sovereignty of God, but uh, this doctrine of that God makes us sick to teach something is really of the devil. 
totally of the devil because it robs a person of confidence. It robs them of joy. It robs them of love. It robs them of peace. It robs them of assurance, of gentleness, of meekness, of temperance, of faith. It robs all that away from you, okay? Now, would God give us something and then that would prevent us from having fellowship with him? No, none. No, he would not. Think about it. If sickness and disease comes from God, remember the word says God is love, then love has turned into hate, and light has turned into darkness, and life has turned into death. Is that true, folks? I know none of you out there are saying, yeah, that's impossible. It can't be. But I'll tell you what. When I was sick and it, it didn't go away and I just kept getting worse and worse, you know, everyone around me uh, was trying to explain to me why I was still sick. And I can't tell you how many times I heard people say, oh, you must be sinning. And then this, oh, well, maybe God was trying to teach you something and because you wouldn't learn it, uh, you know, Sickness came upon you, and now you can't get delivered until you get that sin out of your life or that correction, till you yield to that correction. I mean, how ridiculous. And you know what I've discovered? All the most all people that believe that God uses sickness and disease to instruct or teach us. Do you know the very first thing they do when they're not feeling good or they're sick for a long time? the first thing they try and do is get rid of the sickness and disease by going to the doctor. And they'll do any surgery, any treatment that they can to get rid of that sickness and disease. Folks, if you really, truly, honestly believe with all your heart that that sickness was an instruction from God, you would not do anything at all about it other than receive the instruction and correction. And once you receive that instruction and correction, then God would remove the lesson from you. So if you're going to be, if you want to be consistent in sharing that with other people, then don't do anything to try and get rid of your sickness and disease, but rather let it run its course. And if it's truly something from God and you truly learn your lesson, then God will take it away. But folks, that doesn't even make sense to a carnal, natural, unconverted mind. Even the unsaved uh, know that no parent would put sickness and disease on their child in an effort to teach their child to make their bed. Okay, you don't want to make your bed? Well, I'm going to make you sick so that you're in that bed uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then you'll be so happy to get out of it, you'll make your bed. No parent would do that. And why would anyone ascribe the devil's works, the devil's devices to God? Let's not forget, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And he loved us so much that he put all sickness, all disease that came through sin, he put that all on Jesus. And Jesus bore it so you and I wouldn't have to at all. I mean, that's, that's like, uh, you know, you have to be a theologian to come up with that kind of doctrine or that kind of thinking. Seriously. Uh you can't get that from God. It's nowhere in the Word of God. You won't find that teaching anywhere. You know, let me give you an example. You know, think about this. It's uh, Things that aren't written in the Word are sometimes equally as important as those things that are specifically written in the Word. And do you realize, you know, Jesus said that he came to do the will of his Father. And he said, the works that my father has given me to do, I have fulfilled them. Okay? 
Now, if sickness was and disease was part of the Father's plan for mankind, then there would be at least one example of Jesus telling someone, you know what? Uh, you haven't learned your lesson yet. So you are going to just remain sick. Okay? Now, let, let's think about it. Not one time did Jesus ever turn away anyone at all and give them a word that, oh, this is the Father's chastisement. This is the Father's instruction for you. So when you go learn your lesson, you'll be fine. So get out of here. Go learn your lesson. He didn't do that to one person, not a single. So the absence of that being not recorded in the Bible is a very significant point for you and I to take note of. The absence of it is like, wait a minute, that should be noteworthy to all of us. In fact, even when I began to study the Word, I found an absence of Jesus doing that to anyone, okay? He, not a single person. In fact, listen to this. In, uh, go with me, and I've done this once before, but I think it bears repeating here. Uh, in, uh, go with me to Matthew chapter 4. And I'm just going to run through a, a few of these. Uh, listen to this in Matthew 4.23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel isn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel is the good news that the Father taught Jesus that he was teaching all the people. Okay? Let's just pause here for a minute. If, if God was already sharing his good news through man, through the synagogues, then why did Jesus need to come? Why did apparently there was no one preaching good news? There was a lot of people preaching the law, but they themselves did not understand the law. Jesus said that he said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are those, they are they which testify of me. And Jesus said, Look, if you were really believing the scriptures, you would believe me also because. In John 5, he said, because Moses wrote of me. Now, most of theologians, they turn to the law and they can tell you everything wrong that you, sh that you should not be doing. They can point out every place that Israel received uh, uh, judgment for their actions on what they did, giving place to the adversary in their life to kill, steal, and destroy. They'll point out every one of those places, and they'll say, see, look what God did to them. And they miss one very important point, extremely important point. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, everyone attributed everything that happened to God? Good, bad, indifferent, it was all because of God. Now, that was because they didn't have the full revelation that we, re that we received through the manifestation of Jesus Christ. When the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, Jesus lived the Word of God. He demonstrated to us what that Word of God looked like being lived on a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment -moment basis. He showed us what it looked like. And do you know that that living that life didn't start just when he turned 30? It started from the conception in the womb. The moment the Spirit entered Christ, the Father was ministering to him. And as he grew, the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and in stature. How did he grow in wisdom and in stature? In uh, I'm sorry I got off my point, but I'll get back there. Go, to, go with me to John 8. Listen to what it says in John 8. Again, the point we're making is Jesus was expressing the heart of his Father, not only through what he taught, but through his actions, what he did and did not do. In John chapter 8, 
in John chapter 8, let me see here. Uh, let's see, I think it's in John chapter 8. Oh yes, uh, it was on the other page. It says, Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now, wait a minute. If sickness and disease is something that is pleasing to God to teach his children a lesson, then why didn't Jesus learn that lesson and do that as well? Because it was never taught of him by his Father. His Father never once taught him to use the devices of the devil to bring revelation of him to the people. Not one time. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, it's a verse we all quote. It says, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus made a sharp distinction. He said, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it above the common. Think about that for a moment. The devil brings death, destruction, and loss. Jesus contrasted that and said, but I bring life. So all sickness is some form of death. It is working destruction in your body, whether it's a cold, whether it's a flu, no matter what it is, no matter how simple you might think it is, if it's left unchecked, it can lead to your death, your physical death. So any sickness, any disease is a manifestation of the devices of the devil, death, destruction, and loss. I know many of you out there that have gone through a, a sickness or disease like myself or in, the, or in the middle of it, you realize that sickness is a thief. It's robbing from you precious moments, precious hours, every single second of the day. It's robbing from you. That's a thief. That's not Jesus. It's destroying you. Not only is it destroying your ability to work, your ability to be productive, your ability to uh, touch other people with the love of Jesus Christ, it is destroying in your life, and it's destroying opportunities. And let me tell you something else it destroys. It, in, it destroys intimate relationships, okay, with a spouse, with your family, with a loved one, because it begins to sow discord. That's what sickness does. It separates you from people. It doesn't bring you together with people. And that's one of the seven things that uh, God hates is, um, is division among the brethren. So anything that brings division to divide you away from the rest of the body of Christ is from the devil. Amen? And uh, death, destruction, and loss. That's all from the devil. Could I, could that, I mean, we could just close our Bibles right now and say, wait a minute. Is this sickness producing death, destruction, or loss? Yes. Then is it bringing any kind of abundant life that's that's more life than, I, than I've had in my past. Well, if it doesn't fit that criteria on one scripture alone, we could dismiss that whole topic. So folks, I want to point out to you that there has to be a, a willingness and a, and a willing disregard of truth in order to accept that doctrine. Amen? I mean, that'll make you want to turn up your headphones. You know what I mean? You want to hear that really closely uh, so that there are no, no dropouts of any kind. You'll know exactly what you should be doing. Amen. That was a little note to my uh, uh, technician here. Anyway, uh, so anyway, I'm just 
just playing with her. You know, we're being real here. So anyway, think about this for a moment. Let me go back to the point uh, that I initially started was that, listen to what it says. We're in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Now you might say, well, see, he didn't heal everyone. He just healed all types of sickness and disease. Well, wait a minute. See, God knew that the devil would use that card. So he had another one to trump that. Listen to what it says. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those uh, and those which were possessed of devils, and those which were lunatic, and those which had palsy, and he healed them. Now, wait a minute. Why didn't it say, and he healed some of them, and told the others that they were still in need of more correction, more instruction. Why didn't he tell them that? Think about this. Uh, go with me to, where is it? Nine. Go to chapter nine. In uh, chapter nine, it says here, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, here's that same uh, teaching that really, if you believe this, you've been taught a lie and you're preaching the same thing that the Pharisees did that hindered them from receiving the love that God sent them through Jesus. Listen to what it says. And as they went out, behold, they brought unto him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Think about that. Everyone that came to him were healed. In, uh, back in Matthew 8, 17, uh, 16 and 17. Listen to this. It says, um, And when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. He cast out the spirit with his word and healed all that were sick. All that were sick. Why doesn't it say, and healed some or a few that were sick? You, folks, you have to, you have to stop and you have to think, wait a minute. I've got us, if that's what it's saying, that's what it means. Amen? So don't, don't let your heart be uh, deceived or, or, or accept that, well, maybe I'm not getting better because God's trying to teach me something. That's not true at all. God uses his word to instruct and correct. In Proverbs, it tells us, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In Proverbs chapter 6, it tells us, listen to what it says here. Uh, let me see. Did I write that down? Proverbs. Oh yeah, how could I forget? Uh, Proverbs 6.23. It says, for the commandment or the word of God is a lamp and the law is a light and reproofs and of instruction are the way of life. So God uses his word, his commandments, his law to instruct and correct. He does not use sickness and disease. Remember, think about this. Jesus said in John 6, 63, he said the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickens. So why would God use something in your flesh to try and teach you when he knows that it's not profitable at all. Think about that for a moment, folks. You know, what I'm sharing is just what I call simple God logic. God brings out these points over and over and over again. In fact, listen while we're there in Proverbs. Listen to what it says a proverb is for. 
Uh, Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Uh, let's see. The Proverbs of Solomon. It's what's, What are they for? To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive words of understanding. To receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, equity. To give subtlety to the simple. To the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear a proverb and will increase in learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. See, God gave us these proverbs as instruction. He gave thus them as correction. He gave them as chastisement. He did not give anything in the flesh for that purpose. Now, I'm not going to talk about it because we've talked about it before, but uh, why bad things happen to us in the flesh? Uh, why do those things happen? Well, uh, there's many reasons why they happen, but I can assure you that none of them are coming from God. In fact, God is always showing us before the trouble, before the tribulation, before the affliction, before the problem, he's always showing us the way of escape before we get into it. Do you know how I know that? That's why he sent his word. He gave his word for instruction and correction, like we just read, to make us wise, to make us prudent, to give us discernment. He gave us his word for that purpose. And that is the word that is instruction, correction, chastisement, rebuke. That's what God uses because it is spirit and it is life. Do you know if you were just to beat somebody and not explain to them anything about why they're being beat, they wouldn't learn anything from it. Not at all. But a parent, when they chastise or use the rod of correction, or in my family it was a belt, uh, they always told you why you were getting a licking. You know, they always told you why you were getting those stripes on your backside. It was because of something you did wrong. It wasn't, uh, and and let me look it up. I think I just wrote it down here. Um, yeah, turn with me while we're in Proverbs. Listen to this in Proverbs. Thanks for sticking with me, folks. I realize I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. But I think that the Spirit is, is trying to pass these points upon you, and I would rather, much rather follow His direction than some notes I may have taken or an order that I think. So in Proverbs chapter 13, uh, did I say 13? Yes. In 13, verse 34, there's no 34 in Proverbs, so I wrote down something wrong. In, uh, oh, 24. In 1324, it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. And but he that loveth him chastiseth him betimes. In other words, when they need instruction and correction through a rod, if you love them, you'll give them. You know, when I was little and I got whoopings, uh, my parents couldn't sit down and explain things to me. I would be like, yeah, oh, that sounds cool. And it made no sense to me at all. I was young. I, was, uh, I wasn't able to comprehend lessons, okay? So, but they gave me instruction that I learned from, okay? In other words, if I did something and then I got a spanking for it or a licking for it, then I realized, wait a minute, I don't want to do that again because that produces that end result. Do you know that God gave us his word and he showed us over and over again in his word uh, the consequences of sin? And why did he record that in there? So that we could see and learn from that without having to go through it. That's God's instruction. That's God's correction. That's God's chastisement for us. He's not going to beat you with a rod. Uh, that will produce no profitable results whatsoever 
Not when he can just communicate to you and his spirit move in your heart to lead and guide you to truth. That's his goal. Amen? Amen? And besides, think about this for a second. Do you know it says that if we're in Christ, there's no judgment against us at all? Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no judgment to those that are in Christ. And it goes on to say that the only way you're going to be hearing condemnation or judgment is not from God. It's going to be from the enemy because you're walking in the flesh. That gives place to the devil. Amen? Paul was very specific in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, don't give place to the devil. Peter said, the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He said, whom resists steadfast in the faith. What is, well, how do you resist the devil steadfast in the faith? You walk according to the word. Because if you're walking in the Spirit, the only fruit that's going to be produced in your life is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, goodness, faith. That's what cooperating, walking in the Spirit is going to look like in your life. But if you're walking in the flesh, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to give place to the devil, and there's only a few things that the devil has to offer you. Three, to be specific, death, destruction, and loss. And that's what you'll be receiving. And But God is giving us instruction through his word, so that will be completely avoided in our life. So you might think to yourself, well then, where did this doctrine come from? Why do people, it's, if it's that obvious, why do people, uh, you know, propagate or share or teach that? Well, let's, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, uh, chapter 12. That's where they get this from in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go there to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to just start in uh, and just read a few verses here because it's important that we understand the point that the writer is communicating to us uh, and understand why he's sharing this. And he's not going to say one thing in one part of this letter and then completely flip and do say the opposite in another part of the letter. That would be confusion. It would not be the Spirit of God leading it. So we know that because it's included in the Word of God, it's been inspired by the Spirit, and there is a lesson, and there is an instruction, and there is correction within this uh, for us. That's what the Word of God does. It, it's for our instruction, reproof, that we would be thoroughly furnished to do what? To do good works, not to be sick in bed somewhere. So 12 verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You know, this is saying that Jesus endured things, a contradiction against himself. In other words, when he suffered for us, God put sickness, disease, everything that came as a result of sin was placed on Jesus. And Jesus bore that and the full judgment of it he took in our place, okay? Now, if you'll recall, I think it was last week, I made it very clear in our lesson that Jesus took all judgment, every bit, complete, 100%. He took it all and he was judged for all sin. So there is no more judgment for sin at all. None whatsoever. Zero. 
So Jesus took that all upon himself. But did, was he special in such a way that God made it where he could not sin, where no trouble would come against him at all? No. Let's pause here for a minute since we're in this book and go back and see what it says. In chapter 2, listen to what it says. Chapter 2, verse 18, speaking of Jesus, says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. In other words, Jesus was tempted. And go over to chapter 4, it says, Seeing then we have a great high priest, verse 14, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. What is that saying? Jesus was tempted in every way that we are and were tempted. You know the word tempted there means to be means to try or to test or to prove. Think about this for a second. In James, he makes it very clear that God tests or tries or tempts no man with evil. Now, at the beginning of this lesson, we saw that sickness and disease is evil because it produces death, destruction, and loss. Jesus said that the Father manifested in him to, to give life abundant, okay? So anything that's robbing life away is not from God. So when Jesus was tempted, if he was tempted by God in the way that all of us are, and God was allowing that in his life, then he too would have been uh, had to allow sickness and disease into his son's life. But sickness and disease doesn't come as instruction and correction from God. It comes as a result of choosing to cooperate with sin, not from God in any way whatsoever. So let's read on. In verse 4, he makes a very strong point of chapter 12. He says, look, Jesus contra endured this contradiction. In other words, he suffered as a sinner, even though he did not sin. He, he endured against sin unto blood in our place as our substitute. And he says, he makes this point that to don't, don't let the whatever's coming against you make you weary to where you give up or faint in your minds. He said, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So what's the point he's making? He's saying, look, Jesus has empowered us by suffering the consequences of sin. And Jesus rose to empower us to have victory over every challenge and every temptation. But we might have to resist beyond just uh, the simplicity of saying no. The enemy might press against us to where we have to say, no, I will not allow this. Do you know when I was very, very sick, I had to be steadfast. I had to resist the devices of the devil with all of my strength, okay? And now I didn't do it because I had a lot of this false doctrine in my mind and I was very legalistic. A lot of that well, all I could have avoided all of it had I just believed the word. But because I didn't, my father was continually trying to help me to see the way of escape. So I endured a lot of struggle that I didn't have to. But I did this, though, because I knew the scripture. I never gave up on the truth. I never said, well, I guess it's not God's will. No, that thought would come to me. But it just never, nothing inside of me bore witness to that. So I would be reminded of this and said, you know what? I'm going to resist this to my very last breath, okay? In other words, I was not going to accept that that sickness and disease was there for a good purpose. No, it wasn't there for a good purpose. It was there to destroy me. And that was from the devil. And the point he's making here is he says, look, you might have a little trouble in your life, but that's not because of God bringing it in your life. 
He's trying to show you the way of escape. Listen carefully to what it says in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you are without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. You know, I, I need to make this point. Uh, it's very important. A bastard is not someone who is illegitimate. A bastard is one who doesn't know his father. It's not that he uh, doesn't know that he has a father. He just doesn't know his father. Okay. Now this is making the point that says, then are you bastard and not sons. Okay. A bastard is one who doesn't know who his father is, but a son is one who knows his father. Okay. And how does God do that? By instructing us. He lets us know how much he loves us as we read in uh, Proverbs not through sickness and disease, but through his word. Do you know, I can't tell you how many times I have read the scriptures and uh, I have come across an instruction that God taught someone in the Old Testament and he's used it to teach me. Uh, one example, I remember when, uh, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed Uriah, her husband. And uh, he thought nobody knew, everything's cool. He was, you know, he got under the wire. But when Nathan came to him and told him the parable about a, a rich man uh, with tons and tons of flocks came and took a man's only sheep that was as a daughter to this man to feed a stranger that came to his house, David got upset and he said, I'm going to, that man's going to die tonight. And he said, you know, he's going to restore him sevenfold. And then Nathan said to him, thou art the man. Wow. And David just was so humbled in his heart. Now, see, I've read those and my father has brought them back to my remembrance. And I've been chastised through those. I've had the spirit of God tell me thou art the man. And boy, folks, let me tell you, uh, that was more correction, more instruction, more reproof than I could have ever gotten through a belt, a rod, a sickness, or disease. It was something that God used to teach and instruct me because he loved me with all of his heart. Amen? Remember, let's not forget, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God is love and his commandments are love. They're not grievous, they're love to us. But consider when I was getting whooped as a little kid, I didn't think that was any fun. And I would, I would feel bad and uh, I would think, man, my parents are being mean to me. You know, they really hurt me, but no, they were doing that out of love. Uh, to correct me and to instruct me because I couldn't or wasn't able at that time because I was too little to really understand when they'd sit me down later as I got older and explain to me, you know, you can't do that. If you do that, it's going to produce this in your life and that's not going to be good for you. So here, listen carefully. It says, uh, verse 9, it says, Furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For verily, for a few days chastened us they after, our, after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Think about that. That's God's heart is to make us realize that we're one with him. When he instructs us through his word, when he gives us a lesson uh, from the word, uh, then what is that doing? It's pointing to us how we can 
enjoy the oneness that we have with the Father through the Spirit. Just like Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, just like in 1 John that we read last week. John said, I write these unto you, these, th these words unto you, my children, that you sin not. And he said, and I write these unto you that your joy might be full. Okay, and then he goes on to say, I write these things unto you that you might know that you are forgiven. See, the heart of John was the heart of Jesus, which was the heart of his father. And Jesus never once told anything to anyone to hurt them, to cause them to remain in their situation. Never once did he deny someone the way of escape and say, well, that's what my father did in the Old Testament. So you sowed those, you sowed those wild oats. Now you go and reap them. No, Jesus did not teach that. Think about it. Think about this very carefully. You know, there was a woman in John chapter 8 that they had taken, caught her in the act of adultery, and they threw her in front of Jesus. And they said, it is written in the law that you should not suffer an adulterer to live, that they should be taken out and stoned. Okay? Now they threw her in front of Jesus and brought up the law, okay? Now, Jesus was kind of in a pickle there because that's exactly what the law said. And Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. He said, not one jot or one tittle of the law would be done away with. And yet, on the other hand, Jesus brought the redemption and the heart of compassion and love of the Father. He was revealing that to the people through grace and truth, okay? where people would see the heart of the Father. So he had those two that he was fulfilling at the same time. So how did he do that? Well, his father gave him great wisdom. And he said to those men that had brought her, that had caught her in adultery, and he said to them, those that are without sin cast the first stone. So Jesus fulfilled the law in saying, yes, Adultery is something that is that receives the reward of death, the, the reward of, of losing your physical life, okay? He said that's what that incurs. So he said the one out there that has no sin, you can cast the first stone. And what he was saying was, and all those who don't have sin also, they can throw the next stones, okay? So here we are. Think about this for a second. Jesus is right there with that woman. And one by one, those people are convicted in their own hearts by the truth of God's word. Okay? God didn't strike them all with sickness right there. And then they, oh, wow, I got sick. So maybe God's telling me that I shouldn't do what I just did. No, one by one, their conscience was touched by the spirit of God. And they were convicted and they knew that the motive they had in bringing this woman to Jesus was not according to the law. It was they were trying to trap Jesus to destroy him. So the motive even behind judgment in the Old Testament had to be pure, or it, it in itself was judged by God. So what did Jesus say when they all cleared out? Did he say, Peter, give me a rock? He was the only one in that group without sin. Did he take a rock and throw it at her? Did he stone her to death because he was without sin? No, he didn't. What did he say to the woman? He said, it serves you right. You just, if you don't quit committing adultery, uh, God's going to make you sick and you'll die of sickness. No, he didn't say that. He missed a good opportunity if that was God's heart, she could have learned a lot. If she, if she couldn't be, you know, an adulterer anymore, if she had a physical sickness that prevented her from that, why didn't God do that? Well, Jesus was very clear in representing the heart of the Father when he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. See, that's how Jesus dealt with it. He didn't afflict her in any way contrary to his father. He said, look, just make this decision to not sin anymore. 
you know, God didn't bring that humility to that woman in that place. Her actions brought that humility onto her, being thrown in the midst and publicly declared an adulterer. Okay? Now, that, that's what humbled that woman before everyone. But the lesson that Jesus taught her was greater than any sickness or any disease, and it was actually grace and truth according to the law that Jesus ministered unto this woman. If you'll think about that, that's, that's worth talking about. I, I could spend a whole lesson on that. It's so beautiful. But think of that in light of what we're reading here. In Hebrews chapter 12, God is not changed from the day he was ministering through Jesus. He hasn't changed one bit. Jesus, it says in uh, Malachi that there's no variableness or shadow of churning with God. And in uh, Hebrews 13, it tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? So what he was ministering and the way he was ministering through Jesus, he still ministers unto us today. You know, folks, I got a lot more that I would like to share on this topic, but I'm, I'm running out of time. So what I'm going to do, because I don't, I've got a little more than, than I, I just feel that this is a good place to, uh, you know, just to end this lesson today. And I will pick it up in our next True Stream. So um, th uh, thank you so much for joining with me. Thank you so much for sticking with me. I know these truths are, are precious to you. That's why you have uh, tuned in and uh, chosen to take this time to watch it. And, uh, you know, bless you. That's uh, the word that you're hearing will not go void. It's going to prosper uh, in your heart. And uh, it's going to, hopefully, my desire is that it's going to inspire the same grace and truth in you that it did uh, in me, and uh, for that's the purpose it was brought to us, not to hurt us, but to free us. Jesus said we would know the truth, and the truth would make us free. Not you'll be sick, and then you'll be free. Amen. I've got a lot more to share on this topic, and I'll uh, get into it next week. So thank you again for joining me. Uh, have a blessed rest of your week. We hope you got some great nuggets of wisdom out of that teaching. Thank you for listening to the Healing Journeys Today podcast. And don't forget, you can find us live on Facebook and YouTube seven days a week. If you would like to donate, please go to www.healingjourneystoday.com. Isaiah 53.5 says, And by His stripes, we are healed. God bless you.